Well, we welcome to the pulpit this morning Pastor Evan Curry from Liberty Northeast. He's bringing us God's Word. Hey, good morning. Thank you, Tim, for your prayers, and uh, thank you to all of you for welcoming Liberty Northeast and allowing us to meet here and uh, occasionally having our children take out your knees. Um, but we are very grateful for that, and uh, they uh, love being here, um, and they feel loved. We are going to continue a series in the Gospel of Luke, so we'll be in Luke chapter 14 which is on page 874 of the Pew Bibles. We'll read verse 12 to 24. Hear these words from the book that we love. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore... I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. As we continue this series in the Gospel of Luke, we're in a large large section, perhaps the largest section of Luke, where the focus is that Jesus is reminding everyone, reminding us, that God loves the lost. And I think oftentimes we use the word lost, and that can be like a churchy term, right? A Christianese term, and we don't always know what we're talking about. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that the Bible says that, you know who the lost are? We're all lost. So if if God is the destination on your GPS or Google Maps, you were born driving the opposite direction. And because of sin... When you rebel or resist God, you keep driving the opposite direction. And worse, worse, you don't even know you're driving the wrong way. So in order for us to be rescued from the state of lostness, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 says, And Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
Jesus came and preached peace. Peace with God and with others. To those who are far off, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and to those who are near, the Jews, God's chosen people. As Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 3, those who were entrusted with the oracles of God. Jesus came to preach to the lost, Jew and Gentile. And we have here in Luke chapter 14 a picture, and Jesus tells a parable starting in verse 15 about God throwing a party. God loves the lost. Here's God throwing a party. A party or a banquet, which is inviting people into his kingdom. And in God's kingdom, we mean God's rule on earth as it is in heaven. God's rule in our lives, in our world, as he reigns in heaven, it's going to start happening through Jesus This is actually happening. God is beginning his rule on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is inviting people to join the party. But this parable is also a warning. The warning is don't allow other things to keep you from accepting God's invitation to the party, to his kingdom. Don't allow other things to make you miss the party. So what we see here is we see a counterintuitive. Jesus started talking about a counterintuitive invitation into God's kingdom. And then he talks about an invitation to God's kingdom, how that requires commitment. And an invitation into God's kingdom requires paying it forward. So if you look at verse 12 again, here's the counterintuitive invitation to God's kingdom. Jesus also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But, here's the counterintuitive part, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What's happening here is Jesus is dining in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were, weren't an official group in Judaism. They were a, more of a religious pressure group. They were actually theologically close to Jesus, but their application of the theology was different than Jesus'. So we have talked about before that even though they're close to Jesus, their hearts are far from him. So he, Jesus is then invited to dine with them. So we oftentimes think about Jesus. He dines with tax collectors and sinners, but he also dines with Pharisees. And teenagers, or, or if you don't have a church background, maybe you're unfamiliar with this, that in ancient times, when you ate with someone, it was your way of saying, I'm one of them. Right? So the people that you would invite, the Pharisee invites Jesus, he's saying, I'm, like Jesus is one of us. He's with us. And so with Jesus then, he builds off this idea, and he says, so when you invite people to dine with you, you're intuitively going to invite those who are like you or those you think who are like you. But Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, when you throw a feast or a party, don't invite the people who are like you. Why? Because they'll throw a party too. And who will they invite? You! Instead, he says, invite those who are unlike you in every way because they can't repay you. And God, when he brings about his kingdom, then he'll repay you. That's the repayment that you want. 
So my wife and I today were throwing a, a family birthday party for my daughter who just turned five. And both sides of the family are coming. I'm going to put dynamics aside. We're not going to really talk about family dynamics at family parties. But is Jesus asking me that after this sermon I should actually leave and I should text my family and tell them not to come? And instead I'm going to go to Wawa and invite everybody there. Like I should text, hey guys, I actually just preached this sermon and um, I'm doing the right thing. As you should do it, you know, you should apply the sermon to your life. And sorry guys, you're all uninvited. Is that what Jesus asked me? Is he asking me to do that? Well, I don't necessarily think he's asking us to do that necessarily, right? Jesus attended parties too with his family. You think about the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. His own mom asked him to, take, to do something about the lack of wine that they have, right? You're Presbyterians, wine is okay. If it's Baptist, I usually say grape juice. But you guys go roll with the wine. And so Mary asked Jesus to do that. So Jesus is obviously with his friends. He's with his family. He hangs out with them and he spends time with them and feasts with them. But what Jesus is really saying is saying, if you are going to throw parties where you invite your friends and they're the guests, you should also throw parties where they aren't. And if you just want earthly rewards, like a kudos or an attaboy from your friends and family, that's your reward. Like, if you want everybody to come over because want, you want them to see your new big screen TV or whatever thing that was at, you know, at Target by Joanna Gaines is now in your house now. You want everybody to see that? And everyone's like, oh, wow, Evan, I love your TV, man. This is awesome. I can't believe it. What a great house you have. That's my reward, Jesus says. But if you want more than that, welcome, spend time with, hang out, throw parties for people who can't give you an earthly reward. So all you're left with is a heavenly reward from God. So he says, invite those who are excluded so that you will be included when God sets up his kingdom on earth and then you'll be rewarded. See, Jesus isn't just challenging our heads, what we believe, and our hands, our actions towards the lost. He's also challenging our hearts, our attitudes behind them too. See, Jesus wants head, hands, and heart all to be aligned, all to be connected. See, my love for the loss is not just something I feel like I must do in my head, because Jesus says it, right? I should do it because Jesus says it. My love for loss is not just something I show with my hands, but it's also something that I should want to do in my heart. As the war in Ukraine continues to unfold, millions of Ukrainian refugees are now fleeing to other countries, and other countries, the world's welcoming them in. You see great pictures of pe people in Poland leaving baby strollers at the train station, so moms who've been carrying their babies across borders can just put their kids down and push the babies. But there's one story that stood out for me from Germany. On a railway platform, a woman named Carol Zeiler, whose daughter's traveling abroad for a year, held up a cardboard sign offering her empty room to a woman and children. And she said, these are unfortunate people leaving their country 
the least we can do is warmly welcome them to give them a home and food and a bed to sleep and rest. Can you hear how her head, her hands, and her heart are all connected? Like, I'm going to go to the train station. I'm going to go to 30th Street Station. Think about this. And I'm going to say, I have a room available to whoever wants it. Like, you can't just be like, you think something you know and something you do. Actually, you actually believe that this is the right thing to do. And, and Carol Zeiler does. But I can, can I tell you something? I don't think I would do that. If my friend or family member needed a place to stay or, or a room or, you know, a meal, if I have the room, if I have the bed, if I have the meal, and it's not too inconvenient for me, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Right? I had like a running dad joke that I would tell people all the time. I would say like, hey, if somebody really appreciated it, I would say, hey, I just want you to know that if you ever need a place to stay, we just need a, a meal or someone to talk to, I'll pray for you. <laughs> and it was a running dad joke that I had, but honestly, that's where my heart is. Like, I don't want to be inconvenienced by you, and so I'll pray for you when I get a second to. So I'm, not, I'm no Carol Zeiler. I'm not going to pick up a random person at the train station, offer my room to them. Are my actions, are my hands towards the lost that were excluded, kind, gracious, and merciful? Yeah, most times, yeah. But is my heart? Absolutely not. See, the reason Jesus' challenge feels so counterintuitive is because our head, hands, and hearts aren't aligned. It's not something we want to do. It feels counterintuitive because it is counterintuitive. In fact, it's very much something I don't want to do. I don't want to invite the people I don't know. I don't want to invite the poor. I don't want to invite the blind. I, I don't want to invite the lame. I don't want to invite the crippled. But Jesus says, invite those who are unlike you in every way. Those you don't want to be there. Invite those who you'd be shocked if they showed up. Invite them. And Jesus says, this is what it's like to be part of God's kingdom. This is what God's kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like when God's rule is beginning on earth as is in heaven. This is what it looks like when God's rule is actually active and working out through my life and our world. That my head and my heart and my hands are all aligned. So you believe in God's love for the lost at your head, but you, you also show God's love for the lost in your hands, and you want to show God's love for the lost in your heart. So we continue, look at verse 15. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, this poor guy, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of, of God. This poor guy. He shouts out the first thing that comes to, into his head. Right? He feels the awkwardness of the situation, so he just blurts something out. Which I don't know if you know anything about Jesus that typically is not something Jesus agrees with. The first thing somebody blurts out. Peter will tell you that for sure. 
So Jesus tells a parable which shows us that the invitation to God's kingdom requires commitment. So starting verse 16, he says, but he said to him, right? He doesn't even touch his question or his statement, right? He just, he just jumps, keeps going. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. Yep, good job. Blame the wife. <laughs> and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. Still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is saying it's not enough to be invited into what God's doing. It's not enough to be invited into God's kingdom. You actually have to show up. You actually have to join in. You actually have to make a commitment. When I was a youth pastor, I decided to switch things up and go somewhere else for the middle school retreat than the church normally went to. And changing things up, like changing things, it's always a risk, right? There's always risk in that. But I was surprised about how many students actually signed up to go to this new place for the retreat until a few days before the retreat where one student dropped out. All right, one student, no big deal. Got a phone call. He had some excuses. And I don't know if you know anything about middle school, but at that point, the dominoes began to fall. I got a call from his friend with another different excuse, but he had to drop out too. Then I got a call from a female student I was pretty sure was interested in the guy who previously called me, and all of a sudden, she can't come for some other excuse. And then I got a call from her friend that she's not coming for some other excuse. And as you can imagine, by the end of this wild Thursday evening at my house, a couple of days before we were supposed to leave, I had no one left to go on the retreat. They all gave me different excuses for why they couldn't come, and I was left with no one. See, it's not enough to say you're going to come. You actually have to come. See, in the parable, God's the master and Jesus is the servant, and Jesus is inviting people into God's kingdom. And the Jews were waiting for this. The prophets were all about it. They talked about it. And so the Jews, they're looking for it. So Jesus comes, and what does Jesus do? He invites them to join in. In Matthew 3, 2, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is at hand. Jesus comes and he says, The party's set, the drinks are out, the food's here, we're ready to go. But because the way Jesus brought about God's kingdom didn't look like the way they thought it would, the excuses began to pour in. On my most recent vacation, my wife, my wife and I got to get away for a little bit and we had to grab a bus from the hotel to the airport. And it was, you know, like $16 a person, um, which is like not a ton of money, but it's like, it's no SEPTA, 
right, you know? But because we paid in advance and we said we were going to do it, we got the reservation. We ended up showing up at the pickup location, which they told us what time to be there. And, you know, you don't want to miss the bus to the airport. So we made sure we were there on time and maybe a few minutes before. And the bus got there and we got on board. But there was another family that was actually supposed to be there, too, that was missing. So what the bus, keeper, the bus driver did, he, he got out of the bus and he shouted. No response. So he went into the hotel, shouted again. No response. So what did he do? He left. And because he left, he had room actually to pick up another family at another stop who weren't on the original manifest. See, the party set, it's ready to go, but some, not all, of the original invitees, the Jews, those who were near, had excuses. But God doesn't waste a good party. He moves on and he invites the crippled, poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And even after that, there's still seats available. So what does God do? He sends his servant to invite those who are far off. In the highways and hedges. The Gentiles. See, the bus arrived. The people with the reservation weren't there. So God moves on. And because he did, there's space for other people to hop on board. Now, does this mean that God has completely abandoned the Jews? No, absolutely not. We have another church that meets in this building that would say, absolutely not. And that's what Romans says too. But because of their misplaced priorities, many of them miss the party. And it's a good party. It's a great banquet, it says. God will be there. You'll feast on his goodness. The party favors will be love, joy, peace, spiritual blessings, access to God through the Holy Spirit, freedom from sin and shame. And if you're here today and you've never accepted God's invitation, I encourage you to do that. Accept it today. Because I don't know how many invitations you're going to get. Take this one. But this parable is a warning for those of us who have already accepted the invitation. Many of us have heard this before. We accepted Jesus. And then the bus pulls up and Jesus calls out, hey, hop on board. Come with me. We're going to reach the lost and we're going to invite them to hop on too. And we go, nah. I got other things going on. Can't be bothered to stop and do that, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, okay, well, um, we're going to move on without you then. See, we miss the party. We miss what Jesus is doing because we're full of excuses. All of the excuses the original invitees gave actually are legitimate excuses. In the first century world, they're all legitimate excuses for missing a party. In the world's eyes, they're legitimate excuses, but they pale in comparison to the party God is throwing. Too many of us say we have, we have belief in Jesus, but our lives don't reflect that. Too many Christians. And so James 2 says, even back then they had this problem. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So Thomas Cramner, when he comments on this, this quote has haunted me since I read it. 
He says this. Tremble that there is more orthodox theology in hell than in many palaces, pulpits, and pews. And yet it does the demonic minions of Satan no spiritual good at all. Thomas Cramner is saying what James is saying is there is more orthodox theology in hell than in many churches, than in many pews, than in many Christians' homes, and yet it does the demons no good at all. So you and I might say we believe in Jesus, we might sing the songs, we might, we might have the creeds down pat, you know? We might know the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we don't go with the shorter catechism, like we know the longer one. And we know the Bible like the back of our hands, but true faith, James says, works. All those things are good. Theology is good. The creeds are good. The songs are good. Knowing your Bible is good. But they're pointless if, when Jesus invites you into God's kingdom and on mission to reach the lost and bring them into God's kingdom, to put your faith to work and we choose not to. Because all that stuff you know, all that stuff you believe in your head is pointless if you choose not to do it, anything with it. And instead, we offer him excuses for why we can't, or worse, we offer him excuses for why we won't. So what excuses do you have? What excuses that might be legitimate in the world's eyes, but actually they pale in comparison to the kingdom? Do you have property excuses? Like, you might not be like, hey, I just bought a field. It's not really a thing that we do, but you might say, I bought a house, Jesus, so I can't be bothered with inviting people to church right now. I'm busy fixing up my house. Or do you have financial excuses? Like, you might not buy five yoke of oxen. I don't know, I doubt anybody's done that here. But you might say, hey, I just bought a new car, I bought a new this, so I can't give generously right now, Jesus. Or maybe a family excuses. Probably shouldn't blame your wife. But you might say, you might do it anyway, you might say, hey, my wife doesn't like to go to church, so I'm going to hang back too. Or my kids or my grandkids are too busy, and they're so involved. I just don't have time. Sorry, Jesus. Can't be involved in anything. And they're all good things, right? Property, finances, family, it's all good things, but it's often the good things that distract us from God. Like, we all know the bad things. We say we stay away from these things, but it's really the good things that distract us. It's the good things that we make ruling things, which is why Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better to get, have, go into the kingdom with one eye than to go into hell with two. There's nothing wrong with an eye. Your eye is good. It's a good thing. But you're saying if the good thing is distracting you, if your sight's on something else other than me, other than the kingdom, pluck it out. The good thing is not worth it. It's too many of us when the invitation comes, we make excuses because our priorities are off. See, the problem is our sights are focused on the temporary things, new house, kids' schedules, and so we miss the eternal things. Temporary things satisfy temporarily. But we end up dedicating our lives to those things, even though they may be good. 
And what happens is that leaves us constantly running after what? More temporary things. Because I was satisfied with this for a little bit, but now it doesn't satisfy me anymore, so I'm going to move on. So for instance, right, you might get a new house, and it becomes, all of a sudden, eventually it's not new anymore. It becomes an old house. And the roof needs to be replaced, and the paint needs to be redone, and appliances stop working. So now your new house isn't so new anymore, so what's your choice? Well, you either got to spend all the money that you have to make it feel new again, or you got to buy a new house. Because temporary things satisfy temporarily. So we find ourselves dissatisfied again and again and again because we keep running after these temporary things, even though they're good things. It just leaves us exhausted. But I think the question I have when I look at this is like, well, why does the master just cancel the party? But why does he just go why doesn't he just go on with empty seats? Like what's the big deal? So some people didn't show up, man. Have fun with the people that are there. He doesn't cancel or he doesn't just go on with it because of all the work that went into it to make it possible in the first place. It's no ordinary banquet. It's no ordinary party. It's a great one. One of the great conundrums of throwing a wedding reception is that it takes months and years to plan. And it takes hours for it to be over. So much work was put in behind the scenes to make the reception happen. And I think we probably should spend a little bit more time uh, for the thing that's going to be last a little bit longer, like the actual marriage. But that's another sermon for another day. But you put all this work in, right? You find a hall and... Sorry, grooms, right? Men in the room. You find a hall that the bride likes. Doesn't matter really what you think. The bride's got to like it. Figure that out now. If you haven't been married yet, if you figure that out, just know that now. So you, and then you go, you decide between a band or a DJ, right? Are we going to get a band or are we going to get a DJ? And then so you make that decision. Again, you do the one that the bride wants to do. And then you have to pick which band or which DJ that's going to be. And then you have to, you know, the, my favorite part was uh, visiting all the caterers and trying all the food. Or, you know, visiting all the bakeries and trying all the, all the cakes. And then, like, let's not even get into the politics of seating charts. Like, you know how long that takes? Like, we don't want Aunt Sally and Aunt Susie to sit next to each other. God forbid. Or we don't want Uncle Joe to sit by the, the kitchen doors. Like, that would be, you know, like, that would be World War III. Right? There'd be civil war in our family. So much work. And I think if everyone appreciated the work that the host put into it, no one would miss the party. No one would miss it. You would get no declines if people knew the work that you put into it. See, if you knew and appreciated with all your heart the work God had to go through to open up his kingdom to you, you wouldn't want to miss it. But the problem is with the first round of invitees, they don't understand all the work that's been put in. See, Ephesians 2, 13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you were once, who once far off have been brought near. What? By the blood of Christ. See, to open up his kingdom to you so that you could join in, so you could get an invitation, God not only took the time to throw the party, but he gave his life to throw it. 
And God the Son came down from heaven. He took on human flesh as Jesus. And he, he preached to those who are near and also to those who are far off. Which is good news for somebody like me. And for many of you. And then he shed his blood for us on the cross to wash away our sin and shame. And then he rose from the dead. All of that so that you could come to the party. And if we came to grasp that fact that we were all lost and Jesus gave his life so we could come into God's kingdom, we would not only accept that invitation, commit to it, but we want to make sure that others don't miss it too. We'd invite others to church or tell them about Jesus. We'd welcome those unlike us into our homes so they can experience God's love through us. We'd find ways to bless our neighbors so that they could see what it looks like when faith works. And how will you know when you've come to grasp this reality? Because when you do, reaching the lost won't be a chore you must do. It'll be a choice you want to do. And so God's invitation into his kingdom requires paying it forward. How does verse 13 start? But when you give a feast. See, Jesus the servant laid down his life for the party guest, and he fully expects that the party guests are so appreciative to the party host that they become party hosts themselves. And pay the kindness that they received forward and invite others to come in. God fully expects the party guests, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, eventually become the party hosts. And so I, I would challenge you, I would invite you, I would encourage you to do things like invite people to church indiscriminately. Share your faith with them. Tell them about church. Invite your neighbor. Invite your postal worker. Invite your waiter. Invite your coworker, your friend, just some random dude you met at Wawa. If we all just invite our friends, we're doing what Jesus tells us not to do. Everybody needs to hear this. And but I would just also remind you that you're inviting them to God's party, to God's banquet, which means you don't get to choose, I don't get to choose who comes. The Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit will bring people in that you'll be shocked are here. Or bring people into God's kingdom. Maybe they don't come to third reform, but they go somewhere else. They put their faith and trust in Jesus, and you're shocked to hear that they did. And maybe there'll be some people you didn't want to come because it's not your party, because it's not my party. There's going to be people there. There's going to be people in heaven that I didn't want to be there. But our job is just to be good party hosts. To show visitors or new people the same kindness that you've been shown. To say hi, to be friendly, to get to know people, to make conversations about people with people about them and not you. No good host makes sure that he or she's having fun at the party. They make sure the guests are. 
And that's a church that's in our homes, it's in our neighborhoods, making sure that other people are enjoying what God is doing. So God invites you to a party. It's a party you don't want to miss. And as God's party guests, let's be sure to continue to pay it forward and become guests and become hosts ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make these words real in our hearts. That these wouldn't be just things that we believe in our heads or even do with our hands, but these are things that we want to do because in our hearts we've come to grasp with what Jesus has done for us. And when the invitation comes to join in with what Jesus is doing, we pray that we wouldn't have excuses or have our priorities elsewhere to be distracted. We pray that we would jump in and help us as we seek to be good party hosts ourselves. Help us to be people who are welcoming and inviting and loving and kind and generous, just like you were loving and welcoming and kind and generous to us. And we thank you for Jesus, what he's done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.